Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in. I'm on the phone with my friend Hain Steen, and we're going to be talking about self-care. Before I get into really introducing all that Hain does professionally, I want to start by saying how I know him personally. We did uh, ministry from afar together for uh, years and years. We both did youth ministry and felt a connection together as friends. And that friendship has lasted, it's pushing 20 years now. We've never lived in the same town, but I feel very close to Hain and thought I'd give him a call and see if we can learn some stuff from him about uh, healthy self-care. So Hain, are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. Hey, hey man, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you uh, hopping on this call. I think that, uh, how we can care for ourselves in the midst of all that's going on in the world right now and isolation and, um, and I think somewhat trauma um, for the world is, is a really healthy thing. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, well, I'm glad to do it. I mean, it, it just gives me an excuse to sit in my rocking chair yeah. uh, out, outside in the sunshine, the sea breeze. There we go. So yeah, so Hain is a licensed therapist, um, and am I right in saying that you specialize in trauma care? Yeah, I do, yes. And what does that mean? So um, most therapists are kind of prepared to meet with folks, and and really are, I mean, we are, I mean, essentially, to, to say that I'm a trauma therapist is almost to seem like it's a little bit redundant, mm. but there is, um, when you have folks that are dealing with um, major trauma or complex trauma, which means kind of stacks and stacks or layers and layers of trauma. Um, that's a space that really is reserved for like uh, a highly trained um, therapist who are using modalities of therapy that are really um, more, uh, the evidence is, you know, sort of it's proven the outcomes of this particular modality um, you know, demonstrate that one, you can care for the, the client who is um, processing trauma in such a way that you don't re-injure them by the same trauma they're trying to heal from. And so um, being trained, I, I, I'm trained in a couple of different modalities. One is um, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, and another is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, which we use a lot with children. Mm. who are, um, have been, um, been exposed to some various forms of distress and trauma. And so um, I'm also a, a, a function on call with a mobile crisis response team. And so in our, in our county, uh, I'm on call five nights a week um, responding to adolescents or children who are expressing suicidal or homicidal ideation. So there's, kind of, there's a lot of need in, in, in the space that I function in. And I'm grateful to, you know, to be kind of equipped to know how to step in to, and then also know when I'm out of my depth too. And that's part of being um, a trained trauma therapist is to know when um, I'm out of my depth in a particular kind of trauma. Wow. And, and I would say that, um, you know, um, having family members who have experienced trauma and witnessing the delicate care that brought them back to life. Um, that like my friends and family who have done really good trauma work have really shown me how, um, 
how to have reverence for the work of trauma care. And so, yeah, I would say that, you know, I've been, been a therapist 12 years, but um, it really has been in the last um, five years that I've taken um, a deep, deep dive on what does it look like for me to have um, the tools in my own toolbox um, to, mm-hmm. to help people in that kind of way. So we work with mm-hmm. first responders and um, like, like police. I work with a police officer who was shot in the line of duty or a firefighter who's experience you know critical incident you know some you know and which is you know a daily task for firefighters and first responders and so um, I, I imagine that you know even as this COVID-19 thing kind of shakes out we're going to be doing as a practice there are three of us that um, are EMDR trained um, and so we're going to be probably doing a, a bunch of debriefing and trying to work with people yeah I want to I want to talk in a little while about what you foresee, uh, the needs that are going to be among us soon related to this COVID-19. But before we get into that, let's backtrack. So we were in, we did youth ministry. Uh, so, you know, church, youth group stuff, and we were several hours away from each other, but kind of had this overlap where we'd see each other tiny, tiny bits. Uh, and then we've, we've gone into separate careers um i actually didn't mean to do mine (laughs) um but and you you did i mean so can you talk about what led you to instead of the youth ministry either being for the rest of your career or some other church vocational ministry what led you to want to take a step very intentionally into this kind of work instead of what you were doing? Well, I mean, I would probably um, think back into college when we were surrounded as college students at Flagler College by um, men and women who were just um, some deep-hearted souls who the language of soul care or therapy, like it was woven into um, the way that they did life together and um, so we were encouraged to do inner work and, um, and that inner work really became like, it wasn't just sort of something you did in reaction to something terrible. It was actually proactive work that you do as a way of sustaining yourself as a spiritual creature. And so I, I think that it was, it was that gift getting launched into ministry at 22 or 23 and my wife worked, we worked in youth ministry together formally um, until I, you know, moved into the space of private practice therapy. Um, my wife is, is still involved in youth ministry and leads a young life area in our, in, in our County here in St. Augustine. And, um, but she, but, but so what led, what sort of led me, you know, into youth ministry was the desire to give my life away Um and often what would be kind of happening is I'd be in charge of the main event, but I'd always be in kind of a one-off conversation. Like, and you know, everyone's waiting for the thing to start. And I'm like catching myself, like I'm more drawn to the one-on-one and, um, and everyone is kind of waiting for the show to begin. Mm-hmm. And so after 15 years of doing that, um, 
Um, you know, like, I mean, in particular, I can think of like at one church, we had this annual conference for students and like 500 students are kind of waiting outside the door. And I'm like in a one on one Is that the fish, is that the fish thing that you brought me to and, speak at? What's that? Are you talking about the fish thing? Is that the same thing yes, that you had right, me speak yeah, at? Yeah. yeah, right there on, on Signal Mountain. And, um, and so, you know, and I could, and I could see like, everyone's like, come on, like, can you just break away and so basically over the years i had a handful of friends that were like look we really think that you um you're you're great at youth ministry this is a space obviously you're, you're talented but we love you and want for you to you know to be able to um to kind of explore your gifts um, in this way I, there were a couple of events which i won't go into that really kind of set me up i went into some decent in therapy i had a great therapist and so that was that was really sort of step one. Um, I had a I had a great conversation at one point with a former young life staff person and who had done a bunch of therapy, and she, um, you know, that was also part of talking with her and really respecting her, and then doing my own work, and then um, and then bumping into um, my friend Greg Seymour, who um, is a therapist in Chattanooga, and you know, like a childhood friend of my wife's all key events that just kind of were like, kind of like stacking together, kind of like I could see, you could see like the Lord building a case saying, um, I'm, I'm wanting to move you in this direction. Um, not overnight, but just, you know, but gradually. And so thankfully like I had friends in my life who, who spoke the truth and, and really wanted for me to be set free to do something that my heart longed to do. Mm. Um, and so, um, I, I would say that, um, for years and years, I thought that the goal was to have as many bodies in the in the building, yeah. sitting in seats, and um, and and that and which which was incredible amount of pressure that I felt that my worth and my value were kind of connected to that. Yeah. And the beauty of the work I'm doing now is that is that it's one at a time. Typically, it's it's you know, it's just one on one. I get to be fully present with a person, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, Anyway, going to graduate school, that whole process of internship, and then diving into private practice with that same friend, Greg, and I think that, that was really kind of a keystone, capstone um, kind of um, event. And so, um, so yeah, I would say that it, it, it start, started thinking about it around age 30. I didn't want to be um, the, the, the 55-year-old youth pastor. Um, yeah. um, I, that, that was just not a vision that I had for myself. Um, where everyone around me has gone to seminary and are ordained, and I'm kind of like, um, I felt really vulnerable. I'll just be, you know, be real honest. I felt mm-hmm. vulnerable professionally that, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, at some points maybe someone starts to ask the question, like, so, hey, what are your long-term goals? You know, um, yeah, yeah. And at the time, I really, I couldn't, <clears throat> I couldn't uh, vocalize what those might have been, and so. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> graduate school is a great way to kind of work out the kinks of, is this something I'm called to? Mm. Um, but I tell you what else was really cool is right when I jumped into graduate school, um, um, I um, I went on a trip to the Czech Republic. It was commissioned by a college in Chattanooga, and they paid for me to go um, and meet with um, the only Christian counselor in the Czech Republic. His name is a guy named Pavel Raus, and he went to Wheaton. 
And, um, but he's Czech. Um, he's Czechoslovakian. He grew up in Czech. And, um, and I ended up kind of getting to meet with him and spending time with um, men and women working with university students in the Czech Republic. And it was like getting to kind of travel around and kind of like before I'm, I'm not, I'm not a therapist yet, but I'm, but I'm in graduate school doing that work. It just really felt, um, all of a sudden the, the narrative got really big that I'm, that I'm getting to meet with the only Christian counselor in a country. Yeah. And, um, that is, I, I it's identifiably, um, um, atheistic in nature and, um, by choice. And so, um, so there was something about those early days of graduate school connecting with my friend, Greg, and, and he, he worked on a mobile crisis team that kind of does global disaster response that like the, the kind of the idea of being a, um, a mobile ambassador for Christ, um, a mobile missionary, um, but really highly trained, um, like one of the images we even use is sort of like um, special forces are these this highly trained elite group that get to drop into ground zero uh, moments with people, and that's and so why trauma therapy? Well, it just allows me to drop into even more um, high stakes moments with people, and so the move the move away from youth ministry really was like um, uh. You know, I grew up, my dad was um, a Navy pilot, and, like, I watched, I witnessed him kind of getting deployed, like, in a moment's notice. He was, you know, he had 30 minutes to make it to the squadron, um, and they were, like, maybe moving somewhere to the Indian Ocean or the Mediterranean or somewhere in the world where something was going down. He was getting, he was flying into the middle of it. And so I kind of, you know, just had some, you know, just real nat- natural imagery of giving my life away. Um, for others. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think that that's probably like the long version of yeah. your you know answer to your question is, gosh, how did I end up going from youth ministry into trauma therapy? Um, I, I would say that it's been um, one kind of faithful step after another. And um, I, I'll admit that I didn't think that I had what it took when I first started doing the training, I, I, I was curious if I had what it took. But the process of getting trained really sort of kind of fortified some of those insecurities. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and and you're I, still yeah. doing it, though. So, like, you, you were you're investing in the lives of hundreds of teenagers, but you also just described to me how in your career now you are investing in the lives of teenagers. Uh, yes. But but yeah. They, and, and I get that. I get that. I get to show up in the moments that I crave to be a part of as a, even as a young life leader or a youth pastor. And they're is, less, it's less, it was, a, it's, it's less event driven now. It's, yes. It's one-on-one conversations. And, uh, and so all that's going on in our culture right now with the social distancing and, and, large group gatherings being canceled for an unknown amount of time. Uh, what you have is events aren't an option right now. No. And you can do the online event with, with a group of people. I'm not saying that you can't connect with more than one person, but the, those, these big events are canceled. Um, so let me ask you, how would you define or how do you define trauma 
and then a follow-up to that, do you think that this is a collective trauma that we're experiencing? So I would I would define trauma real simply that it is an it's an event or an experience that threatens to, to change my life or take my life as I understood it. Hmm. Wow. So so the, the way that I have understood my narrative, like finding out going to college and finding out that your parents are getting a divorce is a traumatic event. Now yeah. you might it might not register for every single individual as trauma it would be like a micro trauma mm-hmm. but what even what even research would even indicate is that it's not just necessarily like the getting hit by a bus kind of trauma that is yeah the most devastating it's lots of little t traumas occurring and so like what's occurring in our culture right now is lots of little t traumas like i'm, I'm you know like I have neighbors that are like in St. Augustine. It's a service industry town. We're we're a destination location, and lots of people are losing jobs. The, the restaurant next door to my counseling office has been a ghost town for a week, and yeah. they crush. They sell the most amazing tacos. If you huh. love St. Augustine, you probably love the Back Forty, and like and um, you know. And so I get, but I I miss getting to talk with their owner Paul at the fence. Yeah. We talk on, on a on almost daily basis. We hang at the fence and kind of catch up a little bit. And I, I haven't gotten any pet fence time with my friend Paul. And so, like, it's yeah, you know, would you say that that's a trauma? Well, it's yeah. probably more of a micro trauma um, for him. Like, you know, a complete loss of business. I'm, I mean, it, it might be temporary, um, but he's had to tell people like. That there, there's, 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 there's no money here for now. Like right. we're not, and so there's a, there is a, um, an imminent threat all around us that like a loss of work, a loss of income, a loss of community, a loss of physical touch, a loss. And I think these all these micro traumas that are going to be a complex trauma that as a culture we're going to have to have people in place who understand. And can hold the tension. And so the people that are going to, the people right now that are like our pastors and shepherds and, and, and therapists are like these, these men and women that kind of orient toward the heart and soul um, of our communities are, um, are going to, are going to become these necessary um, like um, um, folks that hold on to hope for a community. They hold, they lay, they, they like, they're helping to point to hope. And, but at the very same time, those same shepherds and those same therapists are experiencing a massive reduction in their businesses or, or, or a massive drop, maybe a, a drop in attendance, which could lead to a drop in giving. You know, it's, there's all these systems that are in place. And so our pastors and shepherds need people who are kind of attending to them. Yeah. So that they so that they can be, you know, attending to mm-hmm. um, a community. I mean, I had a I had a conversation just today with our pastor here, Juana, and she just you know call and check in. You know, we have a new baby in the house, grand, grandson, and like she was you know, but she she normally would be coming over and like showing up at our doorstep, but she can't, and so she's calling and and so I kind of 
you know, she took, I mean, we, I answered some of her questions and checked in with her on how we're doing, but then she, you know, then I'm like, Hey, Hey, time out a minute. Tell me how you're doing. And we spent a bunch of time just kind of letting her describe what the self care looked like in a moment like this for her. And so I would say that, um, yes, there is a collective, um, complex trauma that's occurring globally. Yeah. And, yep. And, and so you have, you already work with, you know, first responders, things like that, that see trauma shakes them up in a deep way. Sometimes I'm sure you're yeah. there for them. Now we're having an, a, an inc- drastic increase of the amount of trauma, even if they're not, if it's not all of those capital T traumas, but those, you know, the complex set of the micro traumas that you described. But then that means that the, the therapists, the shepherds of communities are going to have more to more spaces to hold, so to speak. Yeah. So what does that mean? What is that? What's going to happen in your mind? Like, does, does that mean that it's just more heaviness for a therapist and then what does well, that happen? Well, what does that well, do well, to the I mean, therapist? The beauty of like, for example, like EMDR therapy is a modality that's really elegant because it's designed in such a way that it really, um, I don't have to know all the particulars of w- what your trauma is, Jason. Like I don't have to, you don't have to unload all of the gory details to me for me to understand because the goal isn't really for me to understand and then like tell you what to do next. EMDR is a is is a is a somatic, um, um, full body, um, bilateral brain uh, trauma intervention that like it, it, it uses a light bar or it might use buzzers in the hands or it might use um, uh, maybe some uh, headphones that beep left to right. But it, the goal is, I don't even have to know the gory details of the trauma. Because your your body already holds all of the data, and so I, I could, that's part of what becoming a trauma therapist is about. Is not just that I sit and just sort of absorb all of the trauma, yeah, and all of the information, but that actually the client is sitting with me. They already have all the details. What I need to help them do is to help them process it in a way that also shields me appropriately from having to kind of what we would describe is called vicarious trauma. It's like um, when I sit with people in trauma, I can sort of, it's like, if, if, it's like secondhand smoke, if you will. It's, um, yeah. it's, you know, I'm going to have vicarious effects on me um, that show up in me. And so even with the elegance of EMDR or cognitive focused um, or trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, the, there is, I mean, you're sitting with people that are deeply disturbed. You're going to, you're going to be witnessing people like moving through the range of emotions that come with trauma. And so you're a human, you're porous. And so it, like what's going to happen is there's going to be not only people who are helping the traumatized, but you're going to having others who are really kind of orienting toward those who've been sitting um, with people who are in trauma. Mm-hmm. And so people who care for caregivers, like our soul care practitioners, have never been more critical. Our spiritual directors have never been more critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but the sages among us who've been 
really kind of beating this drum for for um, for generations. You know, like we we need them um, to you know as as a way of you know keeping our caregivers healthy and whole, and then also mm. um, um, you know making a way forward. Like, so what does it look like? So if and when this thing kind of cools off. And we start to kind of, I would say, people would say normalize. I would say like, you know, we, we just moved from a place of orientation into complete disorientation. And so whenever we get moved toward reorientation, whatever that looks like, that new reorientation, that, that, that is going to be, um, hopefully what will have happened is that people will have been able to, along the way, have been able to access um, appropriate therapy, um, appropriate spiritual shepherding, whether that's a spiritual director, a pastor, or a you know soul care practitioner of some kind. But um, so I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think the way forward is just knowing that, like I, I've got to have this infrastructure of other people mm. in my, in my hip pocket. Um, I, I need my dentist as much as I need um, my therapist. You know, like I, yeah. I, I need my I need my accountant as much as. And so um, I need to talk to the guy that, that does the landscaping at my office. Like, like, like this is like, we're in this together. I mean, I was on the phone with my landlord this morning and, and even him describing like, look, Hayne, like whatever happens in this, like, let's think long view. Like, so if, if that means, you know, we work out a way to, you know, to kind of reduce rent and on the short, short end. And the goal is to come out successfully on the other end. So let's, yeah. let's work together. Like that kind of, arm in arm, um, that's kind of what, to make it through trauma, we need others. Yeah. That's the reorientation, man. That is. Yep. Instead of like, oh, we only need each other right now, and then when it goes back to, quote, normal, I no longer need anyone. It's like, <laughs> that's not healthy. <laughs> if that was ever our mentality, it's not healthy. And we live in such a modern in this civil or uh, developed world, the modern time, it's like, oh no, I can just click on a button and have something brought to my house, and I don't need anyone for anything. We're, I think, we're realizing just how much we really depend on each other. Right. Um, and, and, and I tell you, what, the kind of the metaphor that, that you know, the, the unique timing of of my daughter's um, son being born into our family is like, here is this like living metaphor of a baby that's like um i can't do anything for myself i need you guys to rally for my good mm-hmm. and um and i think that that's in a way like I, i'm really if i could could i would i have the courage and the humility to say i'm no different than my grandson kingston could i rest on someone else for a moment and allow for them. Well, you know, part of this, the challenge is like, unless it's my family, I'm not like resting on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, but I tell you what, like we've, we've eaten more meals together than we have in the last year in the last, in the last two weeks. It's like, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Like we're, it's really kind of, yeah. you know, I'm watching, I'm watching my kids collaborate on their education. I'm watching them cooperate um, to hold Kingston or wash dishes or chip in on the family compound here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
it really, uh, you know, watching my wife and my son go on walks together, like yeah. in, in the mix, like, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of closed in on each other and, but we're going to kind of, we're going to have to be innovative. Yeah. Um, if we're going to move forward and, and that's, that's honestly like any kind of recovery, whether it's trauma recovery or addiction recovery, innovation is the, is, is the key. Say more about what that means. So, um, in the, in the space of, of, of actual recovery, like if for someone who's recovering from alcoholism, like, you know, they have to kind of come to a place where they're willing to move it, like to, you know, into community because the opposite of addiction isn't, um, abstinence, it's connection. Oh. Because so if, as long as I am addicted, I'm isolating. Right. Because I'm isolating because I want what I want and I don't want anyone to take it away. And I feel ashamed of anyone knowing. Um, and so to move into community like, a like, I mean, AA has it kind of you know, dialed in. Mm-hmm. We, form, we, we form a community and we begin with, hey, here's my name. Yeah. And then from there, it is a movement into saying I'm, I'm powerless, which doesn't mean helpless. Um, powerlessness is like, I can't make these cravings stop, but I have tools. I, I, I'm, I'm not helpless. I have some resources. And so I'm going to try these resources. And, and as they work, I'm going to continue applying those resources. But, you know, like I may relapse in my addiction which if someone is in therapy and is doing work to recover, um, relapse can be a strengthening event because it, it, it like resets resolve. Like I'm, I don't want to have that relapse to occur again. So I've got to think, okay, who else or what else do I need to move forward and be a whole person? Um, um, and so, in a way to become a person of recovery is to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, you know, you start to, I'm, I'm going to need a, you know, a variety of different specialists to help me move this tiny little organism, this vulnerable little organism mm-hmm. into maturity. Mm. So let me, <clears throat> let me ask you, a, I think a difficult question to wrap this up. So the premise yeah. of this podcast is simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Yeah. Um, so let's say we get through this together and we're allowed to go back out among people. Mm-hmm. What do we do to reconstruct? Reconstruct. What do we do? Um, I, I know that um, Vince Lombardi, every football season, even though he was one of the winningest coaches, um, he started real simple. He was like, hold up a football to the football team and say, Hey gang, uh, this is a football. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we win games two ways, blocking and tackling. So we're going to spend the bulk of our preparation practicing blocking and tackling. And, um, and so, you know, what is it, what is, what, what are the blocking and tackling events for us? What does it look like for us to, you know, if, if we were holding up a football, you know, what does it look like to return into relationship into communities? Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what I hope I hope it I hope it it looks a lot like my neighborhood 
yeah. uh, standing at the yard line and talking with each other, yep. going on walks. I mean, there are more people walking dogs than ever. Record number of people walking in our neighborhood, riding bikes, right? Um, getting outdoors and um, and and being connected to one another, husbands and wives walking hand in hand. Um, so I, mean, I think it's going to look like um, slowing down to catch up. And, like uh, we've had a moment here. If the reset is, um, we can sit in the slow um, and avoid the temptation just to kind of push the accelerator. Yeah. Um, practically, that's going to look a little different for every person. Right. Um, for for me, it's going to look like um, I'm going to I'm going to intentionally see less clients. Like I'm just I'm going to like I'm going to squeeze my borders real tight. Because I, I I need more of what's happening right now with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I haven't had this kind of extended amount of like exposure, except like a week on vacation once a year. You know, like, mm-hmm. and so um, we've got three teenagers who soon will be um, you know making their way in the world somewhere, and you know I want I want to just soak the marrow out of this um, this season of life, and so. Yeah. I think it's going to be um, be with each other, be with each other. Um, wow. I want um, to I want yeah. to give people an opportunity to respond, in particular to the services that you offer and your your team offers. If I know at least for now, you guys are offering some um, online therapy. Yeah, yeah. So like we, we're there's ten of us on our team here in St. Augustine, and. Um, you know, we we do a, we spend a lot of time working with um, individuals, but we also work with um, husbands and wives. Like just an hour ago, I was on with um, with uh, online with a client, and you know, doing some um, marriage work, and um, and then I, you know, I will carry a load of spiritual direction clients, and we host um, and trauma intensives. That's that's one thing that we've really started to kind of push and, and, and promote is an offering of um, an eight hour um, kind of either a one or two day trauma intensive. Um, that's with either me or with Taylor. Um, and Taylor Johnston is another trauma therapist in my practice. And so the two of us are kind of teaming up together to, to kind of work with trauma clients doing intensives. Um, so it doesn't have to be like 10 weeks. It could be like 10 hours kind of in yeah, two or three days. How can um, how can they find you? Can you tell us your website? Yeah, so um, our website is um, uh, www.elbowtreeflorida. That's like um, dot com. So elbowtreeflorida.com. and um, you can every therapist in our practice they all schedule on their own, and so you can you can call and kind of or email. Um, we all respond to email. Yeah, but but, the, but right on the homepage, if you if you're if, if anyone's thinking about just even entertaining um, the idea that there's a new new client start here button that makes it really easy, and um, and they can communicate. I'd like to just talk to somebody about the possibility of getting started doing some of this work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, right there on our homepage is new new clients start yeah. here. Easy. Easy. Thank you. Well, um, I think we'll wrap it up now, but we're we're gonna hop over for the for the people that are supporters of um, 
patrons of this podcast, we're going to create a, a separate real quick conversation for you about how um, you can do some really healthy self-care things during this time, how you can take care of yourself well and it, how it won't be at the expense of others and hurting others. Um, and for those of you that are already patrons, you can you can hop over to that conversation with Hayne. And if you're not a patron, um, this is what, when I say patron, it's there are people who give like a dollar a month uh, the, to help support this podcast. I have this, I have a microphone that I use, an iPad that I use, and uh, a website and podcast hosting. And I'm also trying to raise money to be able to make videos. And because of the patrons that have been giving a dollar or five dollars, I've been able to get some some equipment to make more videos. And some of you might have already seen those, but that's that's what where that money's going. And so if you're already a patron, thank you so much. And if you want to get some additional content that are kind of a gift back to you for being a patron, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash things about things. So it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash things about things if you want to take a look over there. And then of course go to elbowtreeflorida.com if you want to take a look at some of the resources that Hayne and his team are a part of. And then you can also just go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. But Hayne, I love you, and I'm thankful for the role that you play in my life and also just in the lives of so many others that you hold that space with them. And um, I look forward to popping over to our other conversation about self-care. But I really am thankful for your voice and your heart. Thanks, Jason. I love getting to talk to you today. <laughs>